0: I got a couple of my flatmates here, as they would say in the UK. Uh, got Stephen Collin coming out today. Give a round of applause. Welcome, boys. Normally, they're sleeping at this time, and they're you know, they some of those stoners, you know what I mean? Like the Austin Stone people. <laughs> so they, they catch like the, what is it, 7 o'clock or 9, 9 p.m. service, you know, just roll out of bed and make their way over there, 7 p.m. Man, yeah, so you're welcome for that. Stoners, that's what it is. Um, I'm getting my notes organized. Would have done it beforehand, but it'd be like in front of worship, be super awkward. Krista would have like knocked it down because she has anger issues. She doesn't. Um, I'll start my timer up here too. I, I have like a lock on the iPhone. I don't know if that's like an optional thing, but it always, you know, the screen goes blank, and I'm new to this iPhone thing, and it just, it drives me crazy. Like, I'll be, like, opening a map, and then the screen goes black. Ugh, that's not useful to me. That's not useful to anybody. What, what good is that? I don't know. Anyways, uh, today we are going to talk about uh, Passover. We are going to talk about uh, Jesus, the peasant king. We are going to talk about primarily Palm Sunday, and it's going to be thebomb.com. So I'm really excited to share about Palm Sunday. There's a lot, a lot of just history behind it. There's so much just rich, beautiful history behind it that really brings it alive. And so today we're going to read a lot of passages, but we're going to kind of just crank through it. It'll be like a shotgun. there just be like all these different areas that we can hit and discover along the way. But ultimately what we're doing today is we're reading a story. We're reading something historical, and there's going to be a lot of really good spiritual nuggets along the way. So we'll be able to kind of grab some things here, grab some things there, and I hope that you'll be really edified by it. But uh, first, what I'm going to do is just pray. Uh, Before I do that, actually, um, I know all of you are coming in from different backgrounds today and just going through different things in your life. For some of you, like life is going really well right now. Things are busy. Things are electric. The atmosphere is awesome. But for others, you've got worries and doubts and pains and just different anxieties and just stress going on. Um, some of you have walked in here today with perhaps even severe depression, anxiety. And the cool thing is we, we, we love a beautiful Savior. His name's Jesus, and he is the answer to all things. He is the answer to our pains and struggles. He is the answer to our anxieties and to our depressions. He is the answer to our good days and to our bad days. Amen? Jesus is here. He's in our midst. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would teach us today. Lord, I don't have the most profound spiritual words, but God, I do pray that your spirit falls upon me right now and just edifies this body, edifies me, God, that you would speak to us through your scriptures and that Jesus, your name, would be known here today. Father, that people would experience freedom that comes in you, God. People would experience revelation that only comes from your spirit, that people would be led to the truth today, people would be released from chains, God, chains of brokenness, chains of grief, chains of sin, God, chains of past mistakes, God, that those chains would be broken and we would be a, a people that are set free. So God, come into this place right now. Speak to us. We humbly ask you that you would teach us today. We humbly ask you that you would change us today, that you would edify us today, that you would inspire us today. Jesus, we are here to exalt you as king. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So Palm Sunday is pretty interesting. There's a lot of like pictures floating around online. And so I had a lot of fun with this little first bit. It's just finding different pictures that really describe Palm Sunday. So we've got our first one, and we've got this Jesus. That guy's not Jewish, I can tell. You know, that's an interesting picture. If you're squinting right now, your eyesight's really bad. Um, but uh, that guy's not Jesus. Um, it definitely uh, looks like uh, interesting uh, European. Uh, descent, Caucasian, perhaps, but uh, let's go to the next one. This guy, we got a troll here. Someone has developed a troll, so a little meme, in other words, It says, "Thou shalt not steal," hinting that Jesus stealing a donkey. Uh, you know, whoever gave the donkey to him, I don't think he stole it. Stole it? That's not. That's not in there. But uh, that's an interesting Jesus. He's he. He looks like one of those stoners, probably. You know, goes to the nine o'clock service. Uh, next next slide. This Jesus, okay, very renaissance here. He's actually got a halo around his head, or perhaps that's just conveniently where the sun is located. But either way, there is drama, drama happening here. And uh, we actually, it looks like there's a lot of Greeks in there. Um, so that's interesting, you know. Got a lot of Greeks putting down flowers and palms, and we've got the, uh, the, the blanket, they're they're draping form. But then his posture is really interesting in this one. You'll get a lot of information about how people view Jesus by how they do his posture here. And he's kind of walking in like, yeah, praise, you know, like, I don't know. They're shouting like Hosanna and stuff. He's like, oh, this is good. You know, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. And look at how the donkey's walking, by the way. That is not how donkeys walk. I grew up on a farm and there were plenty of donkeys around. They look lazy. They look tired and weary. Like you've seen Eeyore, right? Everyone knows Winnie the Pooh's best friend has a severe case of depression. That is not this donkey. This donkey looks kind of serious and determined, but he's like very muscular. Uh, So I I don't know about that one. Let's go to the next one. This one. This one's funny. So we have uh, yet another impression of Jesus here. uh, Palm Sunday, the people are like, yeah, that's great. I love this guy on the front right. He's like, oh, this is the best thing. I don't know. He's like super excited. And then if you look way back there, a lot of times when I pull jokes, this is the face that Gretchen gives me, The very right back of that photo, you've got this guy and he's kind of like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> you know, He's just kind of there. Um, this guy who's behind the donkey, I think he actually just got kicked. Uh, you can see there's, there's the beginning of a face of pain happening. <laughs> so I think the donkey kicked him and then we do have an accurate donkey there. So I do like that. Jesus kind of mellow here. But you know what? The Jesus kind of reminds me of something. Let's go to the next slide. I think that's more so the Jesus. Go back to the last slide. You see the comparison and now back, 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 yeah. I think we've got a surfer dude, Jesus, and he's riding into town like, what's up, guys? So definitely, go back to that slide. This one had to have been developed by Calvary Chapel, just hands down. If if you're not a Christian, you probably didn't get that joke, but uh, they're just a bunch of hippies. That's all. Um, We love them. Next slide. This one, this one I actually like, and I'll probably, I like it so much, I'll show it to you later today, but this one, we've got Jesus, he's kind of happy, we've got these people, we actually have kids, come on, we've got a bunch of Israelites, they got kids running around, the scenery's a little more accurate, this is probably from some, uh, you know, movie that's like an absolute heresy, but I, I don't know, I was just on Google, but this looks great, so I like this, I like the way... They're draping things, the palm trees. We actually have a Jesus that looks like what a Nazarite would have looked like. So that's good. Jesus of Nazareth right there. But uh, let's let's dive into our main passage today and uh, let's clear up what Palm Sunday is, what it looks like. Let's go ahead and pull that up. Uh, today will be our main passage is John 12, uh, 12 through uh, 15. And it's uh, it's the triumphal entry that many of you have heard about. So here we go. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. He didn't steal it. And just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Okay, so we've got our main passage. What we're going to do is walk through the story kind of beforehand, and we're going to answer a few contextual questions. The questions that we're going to answer, number one, is what happened leading up to this red carpet moment? The atmosphere is pretty crazy. People are going wild. They're shouting Hosanna. What happened leading up to this? Secondly, what feast were they attending? It said they were attending a feast, or the feast was drawing near. And uh, also, what do the palm trees and the shouting mean? Why a donkey? So we're going to walk through and first go through what happened before the red carpet. What happened before this spectacular day? And that's going to give us some really just rich information. And uh, there's going to be all these keys along the way that really build this scene, that build what's happening here and what people are anticipating here. So first, what happened before the red carpet? Jesus actually made uh, several I am statements. He declared who he really was. And the first is that we see that he said he was the bread of life. So in other words, he's the substance of life. So Jesus, he didn't just come and walk the earth claiming to be a man. Some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. That is not true. Jesus claimed to be God. And ultimately, that's why he was crucified. They said, you're claiming to be equal with God. You're claiming to have the same status as God. And we don't believe you're the Messiah because you didn't come in the way that we thought you would come. But Jesus declares several times, several different things. Uh, first of all, he declares that he's the bread of life. Secondly, he declares that he is the light of the world. And uh Third, making sure the slide's up there. Thank you, Aaron. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And then fifth, I'm the resurrection the life. These are the statements that he declared before this scene. So there, there are a few more. If you're interested, talk to me later. They're good ones. Um, but the bread of life, the substance of life, I'm the light of the world, Jesus declares and, and proclaims that there is this, this darkness over the world and that he's the key. He's the answer. He's the transformer. He's the revealer. The door of the sheep is an interesting one. Shepherds of that day would actually basically literally lay down in the middle of this, this rocky, kind of uh, fenced off area, and they would guard that door to make sure their sheep aren't going out, but also make sure nothing's coming in. And so he declares to be that, that door for his people. And then also, I'm a good shepherd, I'm a good God, I'm a good Messiah. I'm a loving Messiah. And then I'm the resurrection and the life. That's the one that I want to camp on because it's right before this event that's taking, taking place for, on Palm Sunday. And so let's talk about Lazarus for a little bit, where that I am the resurrection and the life comes from. This is, this is really cool. Um, so what we see, if we pull that up, this is where he declares I'm the resurrection and the life. This is where we hear the story of Lazarus, the man who was raised from the dead. And uh, we'll start off in 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So we've got a dead guy in a tomb who happened to be a friend of Jesus. And he says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Okay, sweet. So we're two miles off from Jerusalem, uh, which is like going to be the mega center here in a little bit. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to counsel them, console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. She's she's a faithful, faithful lady right now. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she's saying, Thank you, Jesus. Like, I know. Like, he's going to be in heaven with me. He's going to be in the new earth with me. He will be risen again. This isn't the end of his life. There's more to his story, but Jesus is kind of like, ah, oh, that's not exactly what I was getting at. I've got something special in store. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Then she responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ you are the son of God who is coming into the world. In other words, you're the Messiah that's been prophesied and that we've been talking about uh, for generations. You are he. You are God in man form. God in man flesh. You are the savior that was promised by God the Father. She's declaring it right there. And he's, he's kind of just talking to her. Do you, do you believe in who I really am? And then a few things happen after that. Um, this is kind of a summary. Jesus weeps for his friend. That's really cool. It's a really human moment that we see uh, from Jesus and, and, and his, his response to Lazarus and his death. If you're going through something right now, if you've lost someone really dear to you, that breaks God's heart. Uh, they're, they're, the, this, this world and the state that we're in is a really painful place. And uh, I've personally been through a lot of pain. I've seen it, witnessed it, been a part of it. We all go through the pain of loss, the pain of death, the, the pain of illness, the pain of just not knowing. And Jesus is really personal. When he came, it was God coming to show his heart for humanity in a way that we could understand it. It's personal, it's real, it's authentic. Jesus cries when his friend dies, even even though he knew what was going to happen next. Jesus cries. And I really like that. Um, So Jesus weeps for his friend. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So what what, what happens in the story is he says, he cried out with a loud voice. This is Jesus speaking. Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound up with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't ever seen this before, you know, resurrecting someone from the dead, but that's pretty unique to Jesus. I love this story. It's like, we've got this guy and he's like wrapped up like an Egyptian mummy. And he just like tells him, hey, come on out of there. And he does. He's got these, these, the, all this stuff wrapped around him. And he tells everyone around, around uh, Jesus tells the crowd, unwrap him. Let him go free. So this is a big moment, and this is going to change the ministry of Jesus greatly leading up to Palm Sunday. And so what happens after that is the religious leaders decided to kill Jesus for raising Lazarus. So you get this big old following, like if someone goes and resurrects someone from the dead, they're like, okay, whoever that guy is, he knows God. Like something's happening here. And so Jesus, who resurrects this man, um, a lot of talk happens. And ultimately that goes all the way to the chief priest and they gather counsel and they say, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went to uh, basically in another region and he stayed there with his disciples. So now Jesus is kind of on a low key for a little bit. He's got these people who are out to kill him. And uh, it's all because he rose this guy from the dead, and people began to believe in Jesus. That's, that's crazy. Um, like, people are really, like, there's a very real enemy, and he doesn't want you to have victory. He doesn't want you to celebrate. He doesn't want you to have freedom. He does not want you to experience the freedom, life-changing life changing Power of God. That enemies after to get, he's he's out there to get you, and here it's definitely working through people, through men, to ultimately put Jesus on a cross, and that they put a the hit on Lazarus as well as we'll read in a, in a few moments. So we have this 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 Lazarus thing happening uh, before this red carpet moment. Next we have uh, Mary who anoints. Jesus, And so we'll read through that really quickly. Um, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. If someone raises you from the dead, like there's like a custom, this is across all cultures, that if someone raises you from the dead, you probably throw them a party, you know, at least feed them. So that's what's happening here. Nothing complicated. They're like, oh, that was pretty cool. Like, thank you. Here's some roast beef. I don't know what they made. Here's some matzah, you know, (laughs) like sweet. (laughs) So Jesus is like walking happily. Anytime you see Jesus in the scriptures, like normally he's walking towards food. I kind of find that real big connection with Jesus. Like he loves food. I love food. If there's food somewhere like Easter next week, here's your Easter plug. Like, you know, I'm going to be there because brisket's going to be there. So Jesus is going to be there. And, uh, I just want to be ultimately where Jesus is going to be. And he's where the food is. So that's where I'm at. So yes, Gretchen, I will have another taco, uh, because Jesus, right? She was like, you're going to eat more. Yeah. I'm going to eat more. Like food is great. It's the best thing. Um, except for dairy that will kill me. Dairy will kill me. (laughs) Don't serve me dairy. It'll kill me. I'll die. And then we'll need another Lazarus moment. And yeah. Anyways, uh, let's get back on track. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at him with the table. So Lazarus is now reclining at the table. Uh, you sat at a table much differently. It's like kind of like this chill atmosphere where you're not in a hurry. You're not just going to eat and then leave. Like you are laid back and eating your food and having a good time. Again, that's how I like to dine. Like, man, don't don't stand up and eat. Like sit down, enjoy it a little. I go to restaurants by myself, by the way. And I love every part of it. Every part of it. It's so good. I just sit there and just eat that delicious Chinese food. Chinatown, that's where I'm at most of the time. And so uh, Mary, therefore, takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, very specific information, I love that, said, why was this ointment not sold for a hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money back he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus' response, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. So we have Mary, She's anointing the feet of Jesus. In other words, she is washing his feet. So imagine walking from town to town in your sandals. Like your feet are going to get very dirty, especially if it's a wet day. And so you're not just walk into someone's house with these dirty feet. Someone would wash your feet. She chooses to do this for Jesus, recognizing who he is and wanting to serve him in the way that normally a servant would. Not only does she wash his feet, she gets this very, very expensive very uh, like this would take up some time to save up for or be a very expensive like wedding gift or somehow she came across this stuff and washes his feet with like this this beautiful fragrance and then I don't know if like she was out of dish towels if they just didn't get to it that day but she washes her washes his feet with her hair actually an amazing uh, sign of like supremeness like saying Jesus I'm seeing you above everything. Like, you you even get your feet to be dried with my hair. Like, that's a pretty cool thing to do. Um, so, Gretchen, take notes if you want to, you know. Um, but, uh, and so, totally kidding, by the way. Um, I shower twice a day, and uh, I just don't eat it. But, uh, so, we have this 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 perfume that fills the room, and then Judas comes, and he's all grumpy. He's like, why are you... Like, why, why don't we sell that and give it to the poor? But Judas, he's really just after, like, the money. And so anything that Judas can turn and, like, turn over and sell it for profit, he's going to put that back into his own pocket. And so they would ask Judas, like, hey, uh, did, did you sell that thing? Like, yeah, I did. The, the thing that those people donated, like, it sold for this much, but really it sold for a different different amount, and he pocketed the rest. And so he's always tapping into that money back. And Judas was ultimately the kind of the shady guy who, who betrayed Jesus, even though he walked with him every day. Um, it's hard to wrap your head around that, but you look at our own hearts and our own minds, we're so double-minded. Man, there's a lot of people, um, like we all struggle with it to some extent. We worship Jesus one day, but the next day we walk away from him. Um, Judas is a really interesting story because of that. And so uh, he responds in a really interesting way, and he's, he's hinting at what's about to come um, and that this fragrance is filling the room, and he says, no, we need to hold on to this stuff, this, this, because she, she's actually going to prepare me for, like, burial. Whoa, what? We're about to lose you? Yeah. She's going to hold on to this for my death. So it's a very serious moment when he responds that way, but it also shows us and gives us what's going on in Jesus' head. If you've been given an amount of time to live, your mind goes crazy. It goes wild. Um, I can't imagine the things that Jesus was, was thinking about. And then as like a insult to injury, he's got this guy who's trying to steal some more money from, from the ministry. Um, so next what we have, so we have that anointing um, and, and Jesus foreshadowing his death. And we just talked about Lazarus as well. Next what happens is there's actually a plot to kill Lazarus and so, this is all pretext, right? Leading up to our main passage. Um, and so, this is the plot to kill Lazarus, which reads When the large crowd, this is verse 9, of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. They want to see this guy who's resurrected from the dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So you have this big old revival, and you have this hit on Jesus, and now they realize Lazarus is an issue too. Lazarus is telling everyone, I was dead, and now I'm alive, and this is a big, big time issue. Did Jesus really raise Lazarus from the dead? Was he truly dead? If you are able to have enough faith that God could create the entire universe and there's an intelligent designer behind everything you see and that everything works, specifically the way it does in unison because of God, then there is no problem believing that Jesus can raise a dead guy to life. If he's the author of all things, if he is the author of everything you see, if that sun rises in the morning because God put it there, because God put it into being, because God's word spoke it. Jesus can certainly raise a man from the dead. Not only does he have the keys to life and death, he himself would later resurrect. It wasn't just for Lazarus. It's for Jesus as well. Can Jesus really rise from the dead? Yes, absolutely. He is the power over life and death. That's why he's our only hope, our only salvation. Can I get an amen? Good little nugget right there, right? Let's hop back over to our main passage, the triumphal entry. So now we're, we're here, and Jesus is going to enter this town. And um, there's all these people, and they're getting ready for this feast during Passover. And uh, we'll just read it again, because we're back at it. John 12, 12 through 15. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast... We're going to talk about that. Heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So here we have this Jesus who is proclaimed to be God in man, flesh, God in man form, God among us. Savior of the people of Israel. We have this, this Jesus who is claimed to have the keys to death and to life. And we have this people who are looking to him for hope. So here's the first question. What feast were they attending? Does anyone know the answer? What feast were they attending? What was this feast for? Say it again. Passover. Everyone say it with me. Passover. Let's say it again. Passover. So what feast were they getting ready for? Passover. Let's talk about Passover for a little bit. Passover is found in Exodus 1 through 12. It's the history of Moses. It's the story of the people of Israel. We have a few things that are going on at Passover. First, we have the children of Israel who were slaves in Egypt. Egypt. So they're these slaves, the, the people of God, had been basically uh, were cohabitating in this place with with Egypt, and Egypt takes over. Egypt has all their history, right? And you know everything about Egypt because we see their pyramids and all this stuff. Uh, so the the Jews were actually slaves of them. The people of Israel were actually slaves of Egypt, and they're in pain. They're groaning. They're crying out to God. When will this end? Are you waiting on God? When will this end, God? Are you in that that pit that we talked about earlier? Just that that despair, that depression, that anxiety, that hopelessness? Is life coming down on you hard right now? Where are you, God? When are you going to come? That's how Israel felt while they were slaves to Egypt. Imagine how terrible slavery is. Some of you are like my boss is a slave driver. My boss is here right now, so I won't say that. Um, <laughs> um, man, slavery is rough. We, there's still slavery in the world today. There's sex trafficking, and then there's there's like uh, you know mining and gold digging, diamond digging. There's a lot of slavery in the world even still today, and uh, it, it is the worst thing a person can go through. Every day, your life exists to serve someone who you hate. Israel struggled with this for generations. Where is God? A lot of people ask that, what's just the state of the earth right now in the world and your Facebook news feed? Where is God? He calls Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to go. You're going to talk to Israel. You're going to ask the leader, Pharaoh, to let my people go. He goes, he says, let my people go. He says, no, 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 no. I think that's two more no's, no and no. So there's 10 plagues that fall, with the last being the worst, which is Passover. The last plague that would fall on Egypt, which is, by the way, not just a biblical narrative, it's actually a historical one as well. Uh, So these people were enslaved by Egypt Uh, You can read that biblically and extra biblically as well. And uh, this this, this account takes place. And the last of the plagues is that every firstborn son would be killed in the night. There's some very specific um, statements that are made. And God says, okay, Israel, I've got you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to get you out of here. But there will be a warning. This will be to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. If he does not respond, this is what's going to happen. It's going to cost him a great deal. There's this death angel, and it walks over the city, and those who hadn't listened to God's instructions, which were to basically prepare this lamb and to put the in a very specific way to put the blood over their doors, that if that didn't happen, the angel of death, this specific angel, dedicated towards this destruction, of literally like some you know children, some older kids as well. Um, He he was going to go through and take what was most important to Pharaoh. And so it happened, and Pharaoh lets the people go. So Passover is God's blood covering you and your household and allowing you to enter into the promised land. The story of Passover is the most important holiday Jewish people celebrate. Because it's a story of God working in their lives, delivering them out of slavery and being in their midst and providing a way out. And it was only through the blood of the lamb. The scriptures actually point to Jesus and proclaim him as the spotless lamb, the prince of peace, the coming Messiah. So all these stories in the Old Testament, all of these historical accounts, I should say, because I believe that they really did happen are pointing towards Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, the ultimate spotless lamb without blemish. We need Jesus as our Savior. Our lives are messed up. We need the God of the universe to come into our hearts, transform us, and make us clean and white as snow. You cannot do a series of actions to attain favor with God. You can't climb the spiritual mountain and get to God by doing a series of works, by doing anything other than calling on the name of Jesus to come and to be that blood, to be that payment, to be that price that's paid for your sin. No, no one is righteous, not even one. I have a belief that no one is good. No one is righteous. It is only Jesus that is good. and It's only through him that we can do good things. For the Christian, this is the closest you'll ever come to experiencing hell it's here on earth. For the non-Christian, this is the closest you will ever come to experiencing heaven, because God is at work in our midst, but we still live in a very messed up world. We live in a fallen state, a fallen world, and we need Jesus. So. Palm trees shouting and a donkey. What's going on there? What's taking place during this this image up on the screen? What's taking place is you have these people. The atmosphere is electric. We've got these palm trees, they symbolize nationalism, power, military strength. They're shouting. They're shouting, Hosanna, which is, save us, come now. And as a king, if you were a king and you entered the city on a horse, it meant you came from war. But what he's doing is contradictory to what they're shouting, their nationalism. He's coming on a donkey. If you're a king and you come on a donkey, a colt, it means you come for, for peace. Peace. Let's get in the heads of these people. They're preparing for Passover. They're getting these lambs ready. They're getting these these herbs ready, the bitter herbs. They're preparing it in specific ways, and they're getting ready to remember the most important holiday of the year. Think about Christmas. Think about Easter. They're getting all ready. They're inviting their family. They're going to make a trip to Jerusalem. Along the way, they've decided to seek out Jesus, who they've heard. They've decided to See if Lazarus is truly alive, and they are looking to him, shouting, Hosanna, save us, save now, is the literal translation. Blessed is your name. They're, they're shouting these things. It's referencing Zechariah 9.9, which is written, I believe, 500 years uh, prior, Re- Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So now they they are remembering scripture and looking back to scripture. They're understanding that Passover is about Jesus at this moment. But what are they shouting for? Jesus, come and destroy the Romans. Now is our time. Now we will not suffer anymore under the Romans. You will conquer them. Jesus, we're shouting for war, and you are a king. But here he is on a donkey. What? Remember that confused guy in like the background? Not on this one. It was on a different slide. What? <laughs> He's like, Wait, why are you on a donkey if we're shouting for war? That guy who looked like he got kicked by the donkey. It's like, what? This doesn't make sense. You know? Jesus didn't come for war. Jesus was the prince of peace. He came as a humble sacrifice so that you and I might have a new life free from sin, spotless, without blemish. That God would no longer remember your sin. He would cast it as far as the east is from the west. That every day you would have a clean slate and you would boldly be able to go into Jesus' kingdom. And he would love you and tend to you and care for your needs and walk you through life. If you have this, 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 this idea, again, I want to hit it hard. If you have this idea that you can attain righteousness or salvation, or if you can clean up to get right with God, you are wrong, dead wrong. Jesus didn't come that way. Jesus blew all of our expectations out of the water. He came in a humble manner. He came as a servant he said, I did not come to serve. Sorry, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. If you can grasp that, that God came to serve you, you're going to lead a lot differently. You're going to love people a lot more sacrificially. You're going to love your spouse in a whole new way. You're going to love your kids in a whole new way. So we have a lot of, going, a, lot of a lot of different things going on. The way they were shouting Um, in sports, I think it's called a round. You have like one side of the stadium shouts one thing. The next side shouts the other thing. Hosanna. Hosanna. Then the other, the other shout, you know, referencing either the Psalm or blessed is he, blessed is his name, son of David, son of God. And so they're going back and forth, the atmosphere is electric, they're laying down these palm trees, and they believe that Jesus is going to take over the Romans. So a lot of context behind this, this little story, and I just have a few uh, closing points that I just dropped to the ground so gracefully, Um, man, what does all this say about Jesus? First, it says that he's the Resurrector of life, but there is no other God besides him. First Timothy 2.5 says this, for there is one God. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. Isaiah 44.6 says this about Jesus. Um, Thus says the Lord, I'm the first and I'm the last. Beside me, there is no God. Specifically, Isaiah would reference to Jesus. Uh, this is God the Father speaking. I'm the first and I'm the last. Besides me, there is no other God. Secondly, he's the Passover lamb, and there's no other way to a, to a righteous life. I've hit this a few times. I'm going to hit it again right now. There's a verse, Acts 4.12, it says this. There is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. If you believe there are many ways to God, scripture disagrees and says that Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only sacrifice. Great enough. Jesus is the only payment for sin, but also specifically, he is the only God. There's none before him. There are none after him. There are none equal to him. There is one God. Third, he's the prophesied Messiah. The Old Testament points towards him. So uh, Martha, she was the one who understood this in this story from today, right? So Martha, she's anointing the feet of Jesus. She's understanding, okay, this is the prophesied Messiah. She's referencing scripture and knowing that you are the coming God. This wasn't a surprise when Jesus came, the Jewish people, the people of Israel were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting it, but some people chose to believe that Jesus was it. And others, the religious leaders decided to believe that he was a false Messiah because he didn't come in the way they wanted him to, which was a ruling fist that would conquer the Romans. They wanted him on a white horse to come with a sword. He didn't come that way which is number four, he came in a different manner than anyone expected. In other words, God surprises us. God can show up in your life in a way that you never expected him to. There are countless stories in this room of God showing up that we forgot all about because we're forgetful. We're prone to wander. We're prone to forget what God has done in our life. But here he showed up so much differently than anyone ever thought he would. So God's not this ruling dictator who cares about how many times you pray today. God's not this guy in heaven with a sword, picking and prodding at every last sin you've ever done. God's not that way. No. No. Jesus came as a perfect sacrifice. Jesus came as a loving sacrifice. Jesus came as a humble man. God displayed his love for us on the cross. God will do anything, and he already has done everything to be in a relationship with you. A lot of times I like to think of God as just a, a father. Who loves his kid. There might be some of you in here who have a child who's chosen to walk away from you and the family, who's chosen to abandon you, even though you've loved them perfectly or imperfectly, even though you've sacrificed for them perfectly or imperfectly, and your greatest desire is to have union with your, with your son or with your daughter again. That's God's heart for you. You might be living your life apart from God right now, and he desperately wants a relationship with you. And I've got to tell you, it's the best thing you will ever do. God wants a relationship with you in a personal way, in a real way. And a really good way to start is looking at the scriptures. It displays his love for you. It displays his relentlessness for you. It displays his patience for you. It displays his character, which is loving and just and amazing, awe-inspiring. Isaiah 9.6 says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Do you want the Prince of Peace to enter your life right now? Do you want this incredible, wonderful, mighty, humble father to enter your life? Do you want to have this relationship and this unison with him that will transform everything you know about the Lord and transform everything about your life? No longer is your life about yourself. No longer is it about your own self-indulgence. It is about the God of the universe loving you. And following him in everything you do. Don't live distance from God. Don't live distant from God. Apart from God, there is no meaning. Apart from God, there is no value. Apart from God, there is no purpose. Apart from God, we are lost. I will boldly sit up here and tell you what scripture says about God. And it's that he loves you and he wants a relationship with you that's real, that's tangible, that's personal. And that transforms you from the inside out. I've met so many people I've been privileged to see before they knew God and after they knew God, before they had a personal relationship with him, before. There's so many people that are just cultural Christians right? They just know about God. They're around people who know God, but they themselves do not know God and they don't feel the power of his spirit living inside of them and prodding them and changing them and pointing them in different directions. And I've seen people be changed completely from the inside out. Once someone who hated God can love God by calling out to his name, And saying, Jesus, save me. You need Jesus as your savior. And saying you'll get around to it isn't enough. Call out to God now. Don't wait. It's a living God. He wants relationship with you. And he's ready for you. I'm going to have the worship band come up. We're going to sing a song and this is a really good time for reflection. A couple introspective questions to ask. God, where am I at with you? God, do I know you? A couple of questions to directly ask God. Will you show yourself to me right here, right now? Will you make yourself known to me? Knock. The door will be answered. Ask God and he will come in. You'll feel his presence. And something's going to change. We get a really cool opportunity right now to sing Hosanna. God save us. Save us from our worries and our troubles and our doubts. Heal us, Jesus save now save now god so father i just pray for this time of worship i pray that it would be amazing god that we would be as the people were shouting your name that we would shout blessed are you god that we would shout save us lord that we would give everything to you right now here in this place god that we would not let our hearts drift but we'd be fully submitted to you god Jesus, we love you. Your name is on the highest. You are the one and only God. There is none other equal with you. There never will be anyone equal with you, Jesus. We submit it all to you. It's all about you, Jesus. It is not about us. We're here for your glory, God. Amen.